0: The Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, episode number 52, where we go back Back to to the past past. and read a comic book from the yesteryear of publishing. You can find us every Sunday on chrisandreggie.podbean.com. And you can also pick us up on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and from the vestiges of the antimatter canon.
1: Wait, are we still doing Crisis?
0: We are still doing Crisis on Infinite Earths, (laughs) and we will be doing it Forever. Uh, This is our third part of Crisis on Infinite Earths' 50th episode celebration for the uh, Cosmic Treadmill. Now we're on 52, (laughs) but we're never going to do the new 52, so that's fine. There we go. Uh, Yeah, so today we're going to be reading uh, issues 6, 7, 8, right? Yes. Crisis on Infinite Earths. This was 12 issues. uh, Cover dates April 1985 to March 1986. Written by Marv Wolfman. Penciled by George Perez. Inked by Dick Giordano. Jerry Ordway. Mike Mike DiCarlo. Colored by Anthony Tolin, Tom Ziuko, and Carl Gafford, lettered by John Costanza, edited by Marv Wolfman. and the cover price still oh no, actually, no, one of these is going to be a buck twenty five, right? Mm-hmm. yeah, uh, number seven number seven is a buck twenty five. rest of them were seventy five cents. So the total cost today would be three seventy five right two seventy five two seventy five fine there we go. I'm pretty Either good at one. math. you doing uh, the Canadian? That's right, I'm, I'm converting for Canadian dollars uh, First, of course, we'll do a quick recap of the uh, creators But again, if you want a fuller recap, the first episode has a longer one And if you want a really full one, our Teen Titans Cosmic Treadmill episode Has the longest ones of all for both Marv Wolfman and George Perez But let's let's kick it off the right way
1: Certainly, and uh, we, we expect you all to be experts on uh, Marv Wolfman when we're <laughs> yeah, done with this year. Yeah. Uh, Marv and Arthur Wolfman, born May 13th, 1946, in Brooklyn, New York. His first published work for DC Comics appeared in Black Hawk number 242. This is August-September 1968 cover titled My Brother, My Enemy. In 1972, Roy Thomas brought Marv Wolfman, as well as Len Wein, over to Marvel. Almost immediately, Roy stepped down as Marvel's editor-in-chief, and Marvel was hired as editor-in-chief for the black and white magazines and eventually for the four-color comics at Marvel as well. In 1980, Wolfman would return to DC after a dispute with the incoming or the— I think he was there for a little while at this uh, uh, point—editor-in-chief Jim Shooter.
0: something like that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Alongside uh, penciler George Perez, Marvel relaunched DC's Teen Titans in a special preview in DC Comics Presents number 26. That's October 1980 cover date. They would have their formal debut just a month later in New Teen Titans number 1, November 1980. And a few short years after that, he was writing the book we have been discussing forever.
0: That's right. <laughs> and uh, the fella drawing that same book was born June 9, 1954 in South Bronx, New York City. George Perez's first credit was in Marvel's Astonishing Tales number 25, August 1974 cover date, as a penciler of an untitled two-page satire of Buckler's character Deathlock. He began a long and celebrated run on the Avengers with issue 141, that was November 1975, all the way to 200, that was December 1980 uh, cover date. George would pair with Marvel Volpin for the first time on Fantastic Four Annual number 13, December 1979 cover. In 1980, while still joining the Avengers for Marvel, Perez began working for their rival DC Comics. Started joining the New Teen Titans with their first appearance in DC Comics Presents number 26. And uh, then he took a leave of absence from the New Teen Titans in 1984 to focus on his next project, which is the very project we're talking about in this issue of Crisis on Infinite Earths, this episode, that is. So, uh, yes. let, yeah, we uh, now we got to bring you up to speed.
1: Yes, let's catch you up here in case you uh, missed the last two episodes, or maybe you'll listen to these... Maybe you're a time traveler yourself, and you're maybe, listening to these later you're on. Maybe
0: s- are still listening to the last episode, which wouldn't surprise me. It was that long. This
1: is <laughs> true. This is true. Well, let's kick into it here. We've got antimatter devouring all the infinite Earths of the DC Universe. And so a fellow by the name of the Monitor has assembled specific characters to his satellite. They were brought to him by his adopted daughter and assistant, Lila, in her capacity as the super-powered character, Harbinger. Uh, these heroes were tasked with visiting Earth 1 and 2 at different periods in time to protect some giant totem tower glowing things that could forestall the crisis. The Monitor also grabbed Alexander Luther Jr., the son of the Luther of Earth 3, before his world went kaput. And he's also sent this purple-haired fellow by the name of Pariah. Okay. Uh, he actually sent he sends this character around to watch each world die. And boy, does he cry.
0: He just cries. That's his, his superpower, is to cry. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, the guy eating all these worlds, the Anti-Monitor, has designs of his own and, possess, and possesses Harbinger to make her a double agent. He also grabs Psycho-Pirate from the Monitor's team, and then Psycho-Pirate then holds the Flash in his thrall by making him feel fear. The Flash being the only one that can flip between worlds at will, the Anti-Monitor wants to take him off the table. The monitor then makes Dr. Kim Yo Yoshi into the new Dr. Light, and she explains that these towers are important tuning forks that will save Earth 1 and Earth 2. The bad folks grab the red tornado and reprogram him or whatever something happens to him. Uh, Pariah shows up on the monitor's satellite just in time to see Harbinger blast him dead. And then, as Earth 1 and Earth 2 dissipate, Pariah cries. <laughs>
1: But it turns out that the monitor's death created a netherverse where Earth One and Earth Two would survive for a little while. However, they're still blending into one another, which would result in the destruction of both of them, and it's also causing some funny time anomalies. Mm-hmm. Every DCU hero and villain is teleported um, aboard the monitor satellite, where Alexander Luther explains what's happening, and Pariah emphasizes the dire peril they're all in. Mm-hmm. In the end of the last issue we discussed, the bad guy finally reveals himself to be the Anti-Monitor. We already kind of knew that, but now we can put a face to the name.
0: Yeah, and what a face it is. Uh, It's a gorgeous face. Sort of like uh, Darkseid in a turtleneck, right? Something like that. (laughs) Anyway, so let's jump right into the books. We got uh, Crisis of Infinite Earth, number six, Three Earths, Three Deaths. Opening page, the Anti-Monitor stands in his full glory. He's in some kind of robotic containment suit. Psycho Pirate is still whining about wanting this world of emotions to manipulate for himself And the Flash is on the floor, still under the power of Psycho Pirate's fear But he notes that Psycho Pirate's power is lessening After belittling him, the Anti-Monitor increases Psycho Pirate's power so he can control the final three worlds
1: yeah, you know, the final three worlds of the anti-monitor about. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the limbo netherverse created by the monitor's death, Earth One and Earth Two are hiding. Also, his satellite, which isn't doing all that well. No. Uh, Pariah disappears because a world is in peril, and he's he's got to go observe and <laughs> cry over it. <laughs> Feeling guilty, Harbinger flies into the energy core of the monitor's satellite, destroying it forever.
0: Thanks, I guess, that for all that. Is that what you wanted?
1: Okay. That's how you assuage your guilt. You destroy stuff.
0: Uh,
1: (laughs) On Earth 2, things are still looking crisis-y, and it's still slowly merging with Earth 1. Ted Grant, his legs broken, is being carried into his apartment by Al Pratt. Yolanda Montez is spying on the scene and is determined to carry on Wildcat's legacy. And she's literally watching through a window
0: being a real creep. That's pretty much what she's going to do for a while, too. You're going to think that Wildcat's superpower is to kind of sneak around. <laughs> it's an eavesdrop on people But there's, there's more to the character than that uh, On Earth 1 Lex Luthor's caught in a whirlwind this is, the coming, this is coming off the end Of Superman number 413 November 1985 by Carrie Bates And Kurt Swan But that issue isn't an actual crossover With Crisis and Infinite Earths uh, He literally just, the la- like in the last couple of panels A whirlwind shows up and whisks him away And this is the continuation Uh, Alexander Lex Luthor first appeared in Action Comics, number 23, April 1940, by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Throughout the Golden Age, he was depicted as a mad scientist and commonly referred to by only his last name. And you actually still see him in this book as the Earth 2, this Mm -hmm. version, right? They call him Alexei Luthor there. Yeah. Uh, But anyway, initially he had a full head of hair, red hair, but by accident, the newspaper strip artist Leo Novak rendered him bald. And they liked the way it looked. Uh, 1944, Lex Luthor was the first character in a, in a comic book and one of the first in fiction to use an atomic bomb in the story Battle of the Atoms by Don Cameron and Sam Citron. The United States Department of War asked this storyline be delayed from publication, which it was until Superman number 38, January 1946, and they wanted to protect the secrecy of the Manhattan Project. That's wild Wow Uh, (laughs) They used to get involved in everything And let me tell you folks, they still do Uh, (laughs) Lex Luthor would return in Superboy number 59 This would be really his sort of Silver Age reappearance uh, September 1957 cover date in Superboy Meets Amazing Man By Jerry Coleman and John Sekela There it was shown that Lex Luthor grew up an isolated child genius in Smallville
1: (laughs) his origin would be published in uh, Adventure Comics number 271 that's April 1960 cover in How Luther Met Superboy by Jerry Siegel and Al Plastino it Seems young Lex and young Clark Kent were pals for a while, then an accident blamed in on Superboy renders Lex bald and resentful for the rest of his life <laughs> uh, Luther's trademark green and purple armor debuted in Action Comics number 544, that's June 1983 designed by George Perez It was uh, created for Kenner's superpower Toy line Now Luther is teleported up the Brainiac ship Uh, He doesn't recognize Brainiac Despite them having met many times before Uh, This stems from a mind wipe That Lex performed on himself After the events of Action Comics 544 When he inadvertently destroyed A planet of his worshippers Named Lexor He goes a little crazy And ultimately wipes his memories Partially to forget the planet entirely Uh, Brainiac has a plan for them To rule what remains of this universe
0: Well we will get to that much later I will go over to you <laughs> On Earth X it is dying But Dr. Light can now speak and understand English Which is pretty convenient for everybody Rosetta Stone That's right, she that you got, you got the touch <laughs> A giant host, ghostly harbinger is spotted Hovering above the mayhem uh, The freedom fighters attack the assorted heroes Sent to defend Earth X In the anti-matter universe Psycho Pirate is controlling the emotions of folks On the last three Earths So they panic and attack and uh, he's having a hard time with that He's sort of keeping it all together There are like a picture of like Earths rotating in his eyes and everything It's kind of driving mm-hmm. him nuts Earth 4 is under the same peril And the heroes sent to defend it are also attacked by the heroes of that Earth These would be the Charlton action heroes And let's meet him, minus Blue Beetle, who we've already met Yes. There is Captain Adam, that's the good captain First appeared in Space Adventures number 33, March 1960 cover By Joe Gill and Steve Ditko Alan Adam was working on an ADAM last name Was working on an experimental rocket That took off and exploded But he somehow gained the ability to reform on Earth And also fire nuclear blasts from his arms He he has a red and yellow costume until he powers up And then it turns blue and white And his hair turns white So that's how you know he's going to fire nuclear blasts at you
1: Mm -hmm. We got The Peacemaker. Christopher Smith debuted in Fightin' Five, number 40. That's November 1966 by Joe Gill and Pat Boyette. Uh, Christopher is a pacifist diplomat, so committed to peace that he punches villains to advance the cause. Hmm. Uh, He uses an array of non-lethal weapons uh, and also founded the PAX Institute.
0: That's right, where everyone can learn to punch villains. Uh, Pacificly. exactly uh, nightshade <laughs> Eve Eden came into the world in Captain Adam number 82 September 1966 covered by David Kaler and Steve Ditko she's the daughter of a US senator and a mom from another dimension uh, Eve likes to wear a black wig and turn into a two dimensional shadow among other shadow manipulating abilities
1: judo master hadley rip yet jagger or jagger uh first appeared in special war series number four this is november 1965 cover by joe gill and frank mclaughlin uh rip was a sergeant in world war ii who rescued the daughter of a pacific island chief and in return was taught the martial art of judo and presumably he mastered it
0: yeah it's in the name right
1: yeah. And he had a kid sidekick
0: named that, it was Tiger who showed up in Judo Master number ninety one, October nineteen sixty six by Gilla McLaughlin. He was a Japanese orphan so impressed with Judo Master's fighting skills that he learned martial arts and fought alongside him.
1: Yeah, Peter Cannon dot 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 thunderbolt. Peter first bolted in Thunderbolt number one, this nineteen sixty six by Pete Morisi, we will let his origin story as written in his first appearance tell it. Peter Cannon, often son of an American medical team, was raised in a Himalayan emissary.
0: No, emissary? Lamassery. Lamassery. I I don't know what that is. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's basically a monastery is what it is, yeah.
1: Okay, so we'll 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 still call it a lamassery. Where his parents had sacrificed their lives combating the dreaded Black Plague. After attaining the highest degree of mental and physical perfection, he was entrusted with the knowledge of the ancient scrolls that bore the ancient, uh, the secret writings of past generations of wise men. From them, he learned concentration, mind over matter, the art of activating and harnessing the unused portions of his brain that made that this all made seemingly fantastic feats possible. Then he returned to America with his faithful friend, Tabu, and sought out new life in a new land that required the emergence of Peter Cannon, dot 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 fundable
0: you know and that origin really makes him sound like he's gonna be some like dr strange type mystic but he just totally yeah. isn't he's just like a no, guy a, a colorful a, dude a yeah. colorful dude likes to punch people and sometimes shoot a gun uh the question this is Vic vic sorry victor vic sage snuck onto the seat in blue beetle number one june 1967 cover by steve ditko This is Hub City's investigative journalist Vic Sage Was approached by Aristotle Rodor A scientist who co-developed an artificial skin Called pseudoderm Vic uses that as a mask When he goes out in a suit and dispenses justice And as the mask His face is featureless That's like the Mm -hmm. gimmick there So all these heroes seem gripped with fear And the Monitor's team is starting to figure it out And now, over to Earth-S Where Captain Marvel is the big superhero But not that Captain Marvel The original Captain Marvel
1: Yes Uh, The Marvel family is also attacking the team of heroes sent to help Uh, Seems to be a recurring theme Let's bio Captain Marvel The Big Red Cheese first appeared in Wiz Comics number 2 February 1940 by Bill Parker and C.C. Beck Orphan Child and... Orphaned. I I keep saying orphan, and it sounds like orphan. (laughs) Orphaned child and radio news reporter discovers a secret chamber in the subway system where a wizard named Shazam gives him the ability to turn into the superpowered adult, Captain Marvel. And it's by speaking Shazam's name aloud, which is, you know, pretty narcissistic.
0: That's right. I don't know why I missed it there, but the kid's name is Billy Batson, which may work in later. Uh, Mary Marvel, now Mary Bromfeld Hit the comics page in Captain Marvel Adventures number 18 December 1942 cover by Otto Binder and Mark Swayze Learning she's Billy Batson's twin Separated at birth Mary also gains superpowers And turns into an adult by uttering the name Shazam Turns out to be hereditary all of a sudden
1: Yes. And uh, you can't just have, you can't have just two people in a family. Oh, so let's no. do Captain Marvel Jr. Uh, this is Freddie Freeman. He first appeared in Wiz Comics number twenty five. That's December nineteen forty one by France Heron and Mac Raboy. Uh, when Captain Nazi kills Freddie's grandfather and runs over Freddie with his car. <laughs> oh, that's not funny and I'm laughing at it. Oh uh, what a bad uh, <laughs> Indeed, uh, Captain Marvel gives him some of his power to keep Freeman from dying. Uh, all he has to do is announce the name Captain Marvel and teenager Freddie Freeman turns into teenager Captain Marvel <laughs> Jr. Uh, when he's Freddie, he, wa- he walks with a, with a crutch, a cane, and uh, but as Captain Marvel Jr, he walks and flies? Just fine.
0: Well, what I love about this is so he's, you know, Captain Marvel's sidekick, but when they're in there... But he can't say his name. Yeah, he can can never say his name without turning into Captain Marvel Jr., but also, like, he's a teenager to, like, Billy Batson's, like, ten. Yep. You know, and then when they... Anyway, it's hilarious to me, the whole setup. Not as hilarious as Uncle Marvel. Oh, boy. That's Dudley H. Dudley. He strolled up on WoW Comics, number 18, October 1943, cover by Otto Binder and Mark Swayze to older fella Dudley finds Mary Marvel's diary and pretends to be her uncle to con his way into the Marvel family. They know he's lying, but he's such a lovable old coot, they decide to give him a costume and ha- let him hang around anyway. Uh, they all humor his lie about having superpowers and let him explain away his ability to use them as his Shazam-Bango Bago uh, acting up. It's like Lumbago, lumbago but, for, yeah. but for the Captain Marvel set. So, he doesn't even have powers, but often he does help out by, you know, throwing... Oil on the ground or something like that (laughs) Uh, There's also a giant ghost Harbinger here too, in fact she's on all Three Earths, and while heroes Fight each other, she does this trick that sucks The universes into the Netherverse Along with Earth 1 and Earth 2 and has Them all merging at the same time Psycho Pirate isn't thrilled to have his playthings Yoinked away unceremoniously
1: After that, Harbinger Returns to her Lila form and is hanging Out on that floating rock with Alexander Luther. Now, all five universes are merging and will ultimately destroy each other if they continue. On Earth 2, the villains vanish. And on Earth 1-2, Ted Grant is lying on a bed feeling sorry for himself. Uh, Yolanda Montez is still creeping around. uh, (laughs) She's lurking around bedside and swears an oath to become the new Wildcat. And as luck would have it, she's got a costume and everything.
0: And that ends that issue, but of course there are some crossover issues that we have to deal with, and these are, again, arranged per comicbookreadingorders.com. So you may have a dispute with them, and you can direct that to that fine website. In Infinity, Inc. number 23, that's February 1986, Cover by Roy and Dan Thomas and Todd McFarlane, uh, Wildcat Yolanda Montez, eavesdrops on Green Arrow of Earth 2, Adam of Earth 2, and Liberty Bell in a scene paralleling events in Crisis number 7. Immediately thereafter, the Star-Spangled Kid and Johnny Thunder, that with an eye, Johnny, are hurled into the past by an enemy vortex, another result of the bizarre weather, and are followed by Nodar, a criminal from the future.
1: Next up, we cover one of my favorite issues of Green Lantern, number uh, 195, December 1985 by Steve Englehart and Joe Staton. Guy Gardner goes to Oa to be debriefed by the Guardians. Hal Jordan hitches a ride but is booted as they, <laughs> as they approach the central tower battery. And so Hal wanders through the uncivilized portions of Oa and eventually gains the audience of some Guardians who think the Green Lantern should sit out this crisis and let things take their natural course. Oh, those Guardians. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, another group of Guardians Tell Guy Gardner that he'd better Roll up his green sleeves and get busy Because ultimately, this is their fault to begin with
0: Yeah, so we have the uh, One one side, they don't want to take any blame The other side, they they're willing to take all the blame So, mm-hmm. uh, and I do remember this issue too It's important to say that Hal Jordan Wasn't a Green Lantern at this moment
1: Yeah, he was right? throwing a temper tantrum, but yeah
0: He was sort of, you could tell he really wanted to be Especially when they're giving rings to Guy Gardner Come on, he was yep. bring me back Put me in the game So now we'll talk about the next issue Crisis on Infinite Earths number 7 This is the oversized issue that was a buck 25 And we will find out why it was oversized By the end of it Mm -hmm. Titled Beyond the Silent Night This is Alexander Luther and Lilo Standing on that chunk of rock Overlooking the chaotic multiverse (laughs) They're sort of just recapping the situation As we know it thus far But we've read all these issues so we don't need to Pariah pops in and asks Lila if the Monitor ever explained how he can be freed of his curse to watch worlds die. Because crying is obviously not part of the equation. It's not working. He's got to try something else. Maybe laughing. Uh, (laughs) Lila says an explanation is due. For everyone. And Pariah teleports everyone to Earth, which I guess he can do at will now. I didn't know that, but okay.
1: (laughs) That's handy, right? Sure. Uh, Now, on Earth-S... Dr. Sav- Savannah and e- is it Ibach or Ebach? I always think?
0: pronounce it Eibach, but I don't know if there's a real pronunciation. I don't.
1: I don't think I've ever said that out loud before. So we'll just say <laughs> Eibach. Yeah. Uh, they're looking for. They're looking at some of the blended worlds and plotting away. Uh, Savannah understands exactly what's going on, and let's let's meet him. Mm-hmm. He's Captain Marvel's main foil. It's Dr. Thaddeus Bodog, is it Syvena or Savannah? Or, I
0: would I definitely say, say Savannah. yeah.
1: Savanna. okay. That's another word I've never said that word <laughs> yep. out. No matter how you pronounce it, he first appeared in Wiz Comics number two in 1940 by Bill Parker and C.C. Beck. He's a mad scientist. Who knows Billy Batson and Captain Marvel are one in the same. Uh, we got Ibach, Stanley, Stinky, Printwizzle. Uh, he debuted in Captain Marvel Adventures number 8 In 1942 by Otto Binder and C.C. Beck Career criminal Stinky Killed himself trying to blow up a bridge And so Lucifer offers him the chance To become a champion of evil Hey, that's nice Yeah If she speaks out the magic word Ibach, He turns into the hulking brute with a buzz cut like Shazam, Ibach is an accurate acronym, blah, 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 an acronym even for some famously evil folks.
0: Yeah, I didn't want to spell it out. You know, it's like, I forget now, Napoleon, you know, some of the classic guys. But what's funny is instead of their first letters of their names, it's like a random letter in the Just word. a letter. It's yeah. a letter in their names. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, that's, it's pretty good. It's pretty nice that we don't, they say when God closes a door, Lucifer opens a window. And that's nice for what uh, happened for him. Mm-hmm. So Captain Marvel appears to accost Dr. Savannah and Ibach, But they disappear before he can Dr. Savannah admits in a thought bubble he doesn't know why this is happening He's just going to go with it All the heroes in the Marvel family are shocked Even uh, are shocked. Even Tony the Tiger uh, Mr. Mm. Talky Tony Maybe maybe my most favorite character uh, <laughs> Tony the Talking Tiger appeared initially in Captain Marvel Adventures number 79 December 1947 by Otto Binder And C.C. C. Beck Talky is an anthropomorphic tiger that emigrated From India to America He likes to wear tweed suits and rain hats And I think he's supposed to have a British accent It's never clear, but it's sort of written that way hmm. And uh, yeah, it's just like A normal story, there's no, no more to it He wasn't zapped with a ray to become a walking tiger Or anything, he just is a talking tiger the final panel on this page shows that Savannah and Iback have been teleported to Brainiac's ship. Lila shows up on Earth-S and explains that they were under the power of Psycho-Pirate along with the other Earths. And that's why the Marvel family attacked the heroes. Now she will explain everything to one representative from each world. And this, <laughs> this one's representative is Captain Marvel, naturally.
1: Certainly, on Earth Two, Yolanda Montez, the new Wildcat, is spying on the All-Star Squadron. Uh, she overhears Al Pratt worried about Ted Grant's legacy, and nothing to worry about. Yolanda's got it
0: covered. She got the suit, so it's cool.
1: Yeah, <laughs> on Earth Four, Pariah is explaining things to the assembled Charlton and DC characters. Uh, Blue Beetle will represent uh, Earth Four there, his his own Earth there. On Earth X, Starfire is explaining things to the Freedom Fighters for some reason.
0: Why Starfire? Like, Right? Was was Al Gatner Luther busy? He couldn't come down, but all right.
1: (laughs) It looks like Uncle Sam is going to be the one to attend Lila's lecture as representative of Earth X. Uh, The five remaining Earths draw ever closer together, closer to their own destruction.
0: Yeah, this creates impossible uh, temporal anomalies like Tomahawk and Cinnamon in prehistoric times or... The sea devil swimming outside ancient Atlantis or a biplane strafing a pterodactyl. Hey, that's enemy Ace. Ooh. We know him as Hans von Hammer, a.k.a. the Hammer of Hell, flew into action in Our Army at War, number 151, February 1965 cover by Robert Kaniger and Joe Kubert. Hans was an Ace pilot flying for Germany in World War I, based loosely on the real-life Red Baron, Manfred von Richthofen. So Yolanda Montez still sneaking around Over here's the end of a deal made between Alexander Luther and the Supermans of Earth One, Earths One and Two. The elected representatives of their Earths, the two Supermen, Lady Quark, and the Monitor Gang are all standing on that floating rock that overlooks the Universe, The Multiverse probably getting pretty uh, crowded up there. Mm-hmm. Now we learn about what started this mess. The events of Green Lantern number forty, October 1965, cover date by John Broome and Gil Kane.
1: Going 20 years into the past. Yeah. That's amazing. It is. Now, what it is, is it's, we got a partial history of the earliest Owens who were very, very smart. <laughs> uh, one Owen named Crona wanted to use these smarts to view the beginning of the universe. And so he set up a kind of television to do just that. All the while, nobody wanted him to do that because... It's not something you do. Yeah. And,
0: uh, and TV rots your mind, by the way. So. Also true.
1: That's what my mom said. <laughs> uh, now, Krona saw the, a flickering image of a hand cradling the first galaxy. Then a terrific explosion released something evil into the universe. At that moment, the antimatter universe was formed. And every planet in the multiverse replicated in that anti- antimatter place. Except for Oa. Yeah. Which is at the center
0: of the universe, right? Yeah, so so I think it ends up being the center of both universes, or it's like the place you can pass over, or it was for a long time.
1: Hmm. But then we'll we'll get to Quad. Yes. Uh, <laughs> after dispensing of Krona into deep space, it's great. They 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 actually atomize him and throw him into space. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Owens feel guilty about releasing evil into the universe, so they created a bunch of robot manhunters to police outer space. <laughs> And if you listen to our show, you know that didn't go very it
0: didn't well for them. didn't go well for them.
1: <laughs> so they went to plan B, which was the Green Lantern
2: Corps instead.
0: Now, some Owens felt they should be eradicating, not containing <laughs> evil. They had a split among them even back in the long ago. Uh, so those Owens split off from the others and entered another dimension to become the Controllers. Now, the Controllers first popped up in Adventure Comics number 357, June 1967, cover by Jim Shooter, Mort Weisinger, and Kurt Swan. Until this point, the Controllers were a race of people from another dimension who visited Earth-1 in the 30th century to save it from destroying itself, as they'd done to their own planet and universe. But their origin is changing right here as we read, so we'll just keep reading on and see what else we can find out. Uh, in the antimatter universe, the Anti-Monitor was born spontaneously from the craggy surface of a moon of cord. Uh which I guess would, yeah, you're right, that, that has to be the... Duplicate of that's OA. The,
1: yeah, that's the, the similar the, the
0: analog for Oa the analogue for Oa, but I, yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, almost simultaneously the monitors spawned from some fleshy goop on the moon of Oa. Uh the anti monitor conquered Quard and turned all the inhabitants into weaponers. Alright, so the weaponers
1: created the yellow power ring that Sinestro uses, and they first showed up in Green Lantern Number no. 2, this October 1960 cover by John Broom and Gil Kane. They make weapons and fight against the Green Lantern Corps. Their identifying feature is that they dress like Valkyries. Uh, they're they're the thunderers of Quad 2, who use pro- powerful projectile weapons. They look
0: like, like lightning bolts. Basically, like they're throwing or using lightning bolts... Uh... It's weird. They can be thrown. They can be used as whips. They sort yes. of are an all-purpose weapon. The uh... yep. <laughs> but yeah, that's like the two, and those are the two upper casts. And as we will find, there are lower casts of cord also. Indeed. Uh,
1: uh, oh, some sorry. of the an- Oh, uh, some of the anti-monitors' favorite weaponers were turned into shadow demons. When the anti monitor sensed the monitor in his dimension, sibling rivalry was invented, <laughs> <laughs> and they fought for. Get this, million years <laughs> until a simultaneous attack rendered both of them immobile and unconscious, threw them into nice little comas.
0: And he thought that was a long time. That's the way they remained for nine billion years until just this morning. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, now Pariah will tell his story. He'll try to do it without crying. He was a scientist on his long dead Earth, and Pariah committed three sins. First, he endeavored to recreate Chrono's experiment, and in looking at the creation of the universe, released antimatter into it, antimatter into it destroying his own world. Uh, he was safe in an antimatter chamber where he floated alone for a million years. It's pretty handy stuff, that antimatter, huh? You know, it really mm-hmm. does a little everything. It slices, it dices. Uh, Pariah's second sin was that his fooling around woke up the Antimonitor, whose power grew when Pariah's world was devoured. And so his third sin was to make the Anti-Monitor aware that goblin universes would make him stronger And set him on the events that led to crisis at Infinite Earths Really, Sins 2 and 3 are just one sin expanded, but fine, you know, you want to have three sins It's better to say three Yeah, Yeah.
1: It's a trinity of sins Right. Uh, (laughs) Of course, Harbinger explains, with the Anti-Monitor awake, the Monitor also woke up from his nap he saw that Pariah caused this mess And was somehow drawn to each world Before it was devoured by the antimatter So he made this uh, ship In which he could follow Pariah around uh, Lila also tells her origin story uh, Just for posterity uh, Monitor saw her adrift at sea On Earth One So he scooped her up and raised her To eventually be his uh, murderer
2: Essentially.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, the monitor snatching Lila happened in New Teen Titans Annual Number Two, was, uh, August 1983, by Wolfman Perez and Pablo Marcos. Uh, so, the idea is that the assembled folks have to go face the anti-monitor. Alexander Luther, part space somehow, I guess maybe because he's composed of positive and that, negative energy. Yeah,
0: that's the idea, is that he is like, yeah, both positive and anti-matter, the same yeah. body, but. Sure, you know what I mean? But basically, the effect is he essentially becomes Moses and parts the uh, space. Parts the... And <laughs> kind of, Kind of like. Full... It's really something you have to see to understand. It's it. hard
1: to put into words, yeah. It's
0: like he, he just he kind of folds it back, opens it up like a book, and in the center, you can jump into the uh, negative Anti universe. They can cross universe.
1: right into Quart, into right.
0: yeah. <laughs> so, uh, just to recap now, going into the Anti Monitors universe, we've got Pariah, Superman of Earth 1, Superman of Earth 2, Wonder Woman, Firestorm, Supergirl. Wildfire, Jade, Captain Marvel, The Ray, Lady Quark, Martian Manhunter, Captain Adam, Alan Scott, Green Lantern from Earth 2, Dr. Light, and Cosmic Boy. Uh, They have a pretty wacky time in transit on the way, but after a page of weirdness, they pop through to the Anti-Monitor's universe near Quard. They head over to the Anti-Monitor's floating castle rock fortress thing. I don't know what it is, Uh, Mm -hmm. but it's super big. Of course, the Anti-Monitor sees him coming, and he tells Psycho-Pirate to use his emotion-controlling powers to enslave them, but Psycho-Pirate needs some downtime to recharge after controlling those three Earths earlier. Monitor doesn't like that, so he backhands (laughs) Psycho-Pirate.
1: That's probably not going to help him get uh, to
0: recharge. No, but but it didn't make it happen any faster, I bet.
1: (laughs) Now suddenly, the Rock Castle comes to life all around the heroes, and while Pariah is still immortal somehow... Superman of Earth Two discovers that the antimatter universe in the antimatter universe he can be hurt. So Superman of Earth Two sees blood
0: on himself. Right, and he had to figure if he can be hurt, everyone can the, be hurt. Yeah,
1: yeah, all all bets are off. Yeah. Now every time they break apart a rock monster, it reseals back into form. But the heroes do get deeper into the palace little by little. Eventually, Superman and Dr. Light make it to the core of the operation, which looks like a giant nuclear dynamo. (laughs) Uh, Superman is ready to wreck this machine and put a stop to the anti-monitor, but old Anti is waiting there in the shadows. He sucker-punches Superman, which makes him cry out in agony. Supergirl hears this and rushes to his aid. Dr. Light tries to pitch in, but doesn't do all that well.
0: No, anti-monitor kind of smacks her aside and keeps keeps pounding on Superman. Mm Supergirl clobbers the snot out of the Anti-Monitor Telling him how great her cousin Kal-El is the whole time (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. a weird bunch of dialogue Eventually the Anti-Monitor Anti-Monitor's containment suit is battered And his energies are leaking out He's about to go Supernova Or like the anti matter equivalent of Supernova Mm. Uh, Supergirl flies flies him into his own machines Creating a tremendous amount of Kirby crackle Kara keeps pounding on the anti-monitor, and then turns to tell Dr. Light to grab Superman and scram, and in this moment of distraction, the anti-monitor blasts Supergirl in the midsection, killing her. Severely battered, the anti-monitor hops in a spaceship and takes off.
1: Now, Superman collects Supergirl's body, and everyone flies back to the Monitor satellite in the regular matter universe. Uh, The next day, everyone reacts to Supergirl's supreme sacrifice. Uh, It's not really a joyous thing, as you might imagine. And uh, she really is dead. Um, Superman wraps her body in a super cape, and after saying a few words over her near his Fortress of Solitude, flies her into space for a proper burial, which, as we know, is floating in space.
0: That's the way you bury people. You just shoot <laughs> them out into
1: space. She'll eventually bump into the monitor and all be good. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the issue ends with this poem. Is there, be, is there beyond the silent night an endless day? Is Death a Door That Leads to Light? We Cannot Say. It comes from Declaration of the Free. It's actually Section 9 of The Devil, written by Robert G. Ingersoll in 1899. This section is called Conclusion, Declaration of the Free.
0: Yeah, it's sort of a treatise about life in poem form. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's it for Supergirl. We'll, we'll handle the crossover issues, but you know we still are feeling very somber about the loss of Kara Zor-El. Uh, Infinity, Inc. number 24, March 1986 cover date. That was Roy and Dan Thomas with Todd McFarlane and Ron Harris. While a phalanx of superheroes battle the anti-monitor in Crisis 7, the Earth 2 heroes discuss the ramification of the crisis. At the same time, a star-spangled kid and Johnny Thunder find themselves on Hollywood Boulevard where the crisis has caused a time warp where 1935 and 1985 Earth 2 coexist. Together, they prevent Nodar and his gang from taking over the headquarters of Infinity, Inc.
1: We got Legion of Superheroes, issues 16 and 18. This is November 1985 and January 1986 cover dates by Paul Levitz, Steve Lytle, and Greg LaRock. Uh, Brainiac 5 deals with the death of Supergirl in Crisis 7. Uh, The Legion defeats the Infinite Man, who is somehow obscuring the effects of crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, once Infinite Man is dispatched, the crisis begins to take hold in their time and
0: place. In DC Comics Presents number 87, featuring Superboy, November 1985, cover by Elliot S. Smagan and Kurt Swan. While mourning the death of Supergirl, the Superman Revenge Squad zaps Superman over to Earth Prime. This is, this is a world most similar to our own, with no superheroes that we know of now. Superboy happens upon a boy who also just happens to be named Clark Kent. And what do you know it, he also just happens to be the last son of that dimension's Krypton and just (laughs) happens to have the same power set as Superman. Uh, They avert some natural disaster together Then Superman takes off through a portal back to his home when the Superman Revenge Squad intercepts and captures him. He will play into this later.
1: Yes, we've got uh, Superman number 414 from, November, from December 1985 by Elliot S. Magan and Kurt Swan. Uh, the Superman Revenge Squad takes Superman to New Krypton so he can watch them conquer the place. And uh, they don't do so hot. They, uh, <laughs> they, they can't do it. Uh, at the end, Superman drops Kara Zor-El's bones off at New Krypton and flies home.
0: And in Omega Man number thirty-one, October nineteen eighty-five, by Todd Klein, Sean McManus, and Ernie Colon, the multiverse it is threatened with destruction. They get whisked into a parallel dimension where they meet up with Blue Devil, and we'll see that happen in Crisis next issue. But I sure am glad that we're done with all the deaths in Crisis and yeah. Earth, right, Chris? So no clear more clear
1: sailing from here exactly. on. this we is got, the low
0: point. We got exactly. We got rid of the sad thing. Now we won't have to deal with any more deaths, especially not when we come back from our break and do a full breakdown of issue number eight from Crisis on Infinite Earths.
2: When writing Crisis, I know you said in our previous interview that it was a collaborative effort to decide who died and who lived, but were there any characters that you were particularly insistent about either way? Uh, you can't be when you don't own the characters. I really wanted Supergirl to be one of the uh, characters who did die for, for
1: many different reasons, but if DC had said no, I wouldn't have fought it.
2: Because it's their character. Fortunately, they agreed with me.
1: Hey, welcome back. You're just in time All right. for the main event. Nice. <laughs> that is Christ's son of Infinite Earths number eight. Title is a flash of the lightning.
0: A flash of the lightning. It's Wait very, a second. It's very specific. What's the matter?
2: What, what, what? But flash.
0: That's right. Huh. Something about okay. that. Yeah
1: okay well let's let's uh, let's go on here and find out just <laughs> what that's all about uh on the anti-monitor's ex- escape ship the flash is trapped in some sticky frame while the and the psycho pirate ruminates he feels pretty bad about letting the anti-monitor down
0: there he says my god here i am the master of emotions and not only am i scared out of my wits i can't do anything about it My only prayer, Flash, is that he died in the explosion that also killed Supergirl. I can allow myself to hope, can't I? Dude, he ain't listening. No, the Psycho Pirate asks Flash if he wants to team up against the Anti-Monitor, but then the Anti-Monitor shows up. That always happens. Whoops. Uh, He's got this new, sleeker-looking containment armor with big, ropey tubes all over it.
2: He says, Supergirl destroyed my outer shell. She almost destroyed me. It took time to construct a new presence around me. But I am ready now. We will land on Quad. From there we shall destroy the remaining Earths.
0: We? You're not killing me? Thank you, thank you. I wish you happiness.
2: No, pirate, you will not die. Not yet. Together, those beings are formidable. I may still require your talents. Be pleased I have not the time to find, nor create, another of your ilk.
0: Now over on Apocalypse, Desaad and Darkseid have noticed that the multiverse is disappearing. Darkseid's plan is to remain hidden while everyone beats each other up and then mop up the remainders. Desaad first appeared in Forever People No. 2, May 1971, by Jack Kirby. As a youth, Darkseid tricked him into killing his pets, so, DeSad joined up with the bad folks on Planet Apocalypse. Hmm. And speaking of Darkseid, he first appeared in a cameo in Superman's Pal Jimmy Olsen, number 134, November 1970, also by Jack Kirby. Darkseid was second in line to the throne of Apocalypse until he killed his brother and took the Omega Force for himself. This made him look something look This made him look like something carved from the side of a mountain. <laughs> and definitely, if you know what he looks like, you know we're talking about. And just to round it out, Apocalypse, which first appeared in the New Gods number #1, one, February 1971, by Jack Kirby. That's the home planet of evil in the Fourth World pantheon, and we will come back to some more of that later on. Yes.
1: Uh, on Oa, the Guardians are coming too, while the surviving Green Lantern Corps survey the damage. Start with Kat Matui, who says, "Our masters, the Guardians, you're aw- you're alive."
0: One of the Guardians says. We were freed when the merging ensued, but many of you, our Green Lantern Corps, have died.
1: <laughs> Several members of the Corps are annoyed that the Guardians didn't call them for help
0: earlier. With us no longer imprisoned, your rings will now work. Indeed, we knew there was a disturbance, but not to not the extent.
2: Love it.
1: <laughs> now still, the Guardians bicker over whether they did the right thing, and retreat to their chambers to
0: argue some more. Heading to the 30th century, the Legion of Superheroes are also glad that the Earths have stopped merging.
2: Yeah, Block notices and goes, It appears the merging of Earths has
0: stopped, if only for the moment. Dream Girl comments, But at what cost, Block? Supergirl died to save the five universes. Uh,
1: Brainiac Five is working more intensely than anyone. Clearly, he's hit hardest by Kara's sacrifice.
0: He says, but they still overlap in places, and where they do, the time differential is maintained. I've got to find a way to repair that damage.
1: Element Lad says, Brainiac 5, please. There's no reason to drive yourself like this. We know what Karen to you, but...
0: Shut up, Element Lad. You don't know anything. Until the universes are set right, none of us is safe.
1: Element lad really doesn't know anything. That's unfortunate. Let's pop on over to the 20th century to see how things are doing. Uh, We go down to Pittsburgh, where Firestorm sits on a water tower brooding. Firehawk finds him and flies on over.
0: Yeah, Firestorm says, Firehawk, man, are you a sight for incredibly sore eyes. I was just sitting here starting to feel sorry for myself all over again.
1: Just then, Firestorm gets a message from Vixen, who's in Wyoming. Let's meet Vixen. Mary G. G. Wee Mockaby uh, entered the world in Action Comics number 521. This is July 1981 by Jerry Conway and Bob Oxna. Growing up in a small village in the fictional nation of Zambezi, young Mary was shuffled to a few homes when the adults were all killed by people looking for the mythical Tantu Totem. Uh, too bad Mary has it And uses it to battle crime as Vixen uh, The totem worn around her neck give, Gives Vixen the ability To adopt the abilities of any jungle animal
0: And also in this scene And we'll find out why in a moment Is Dr. T.O. Mara. We've heard about him, we mentioned him when we talked about the red tornado In the last episode But here we see him in the flesh He first appeared in Flash number 143 March 1964 by John Broom And Carmine Infantino Thomas Oscar invented a television that he could see 100 years into the future, where he would look at technological advancements and replicate them in the present day. He fought against the JLA a bunch of times and created the Red Tornado to infiltrate the team.
1: Now, Vixen has grabbed T.O. Morrow so he can work on the badly damaged Red Tornado. She arranges to get a ride back to the JLA satellite with Firestorm. The caption points out that the JLA working out of Detroit these days, uh, the satellite is all but abandoned. But it still has, a, you know, a good android repairing facility, we guess.
0: Yeah, I bet the cafeteria is probably still running, too, on, uh, sure. on weekdays. Firestorm carrying Tio Morrow says, Come on, Morrow, we're going to see if all the king's horses can put Red Tornado back together again.
1: Yes, Martian is there, and he says,
2: Hurry, Firestorm, time is of the essence.
0: You ever get cold in that get-up, John
2: Jones? We Martians do not get cold, why do you ask?
0: Sheesh. Mars doesn't need women. What they need is a sense of humor.
1: Or maybe Earthlings need to tell some better jokes. That's
0: a pretty bad one there, Firestorm. Cyborg and Adam are also there, hoping to help out Red Tornado. And Martian man tells Firehawk to back up. He doesn't like fire. Although Firestorm's flaming head Doesn't seem to be an issue, but okay Uh, The Atom is inside the red tornado's body And they're tracking him on a screen But we can see him right there Amongst the cables and circuits Yeah,
1: there's a reference to the Atom having left left The JLA And only coming back for this occasion Attributed to the Atom Special Number 2 In this caption Uh, We figure that that's probably sort of the Atom Special Number 2 From 1985 By Jan Sternad and Gil Kane
0: Yeah, it's gotta be because it's it describes it's exactly one. what's yeah. going on there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Cyborg says, See anything strange in there, Adam?
1: Everything's strange, Cyborg. And is beyond my science, too. Ray Palmer was good, but not this
0: good. Tio Morrow says, When I build them, I build them right.
1: <laughs> Ray performs a vision scan, which reveals a very shiny egg nestled among Red Tornado's insides, which doesn't look familiar to Tio Morrow.
0: No. That's not the insides I constructed. The red tornado's been changed. I I don't understand any of this.
1: And Professor Stein, the other half of Firestorm, opines, that structure is unearthly. It's impossible to save him now.
0: You know what I like about you, Professor Stein? You always bring me such good news.
1: And, you know, special note, only Firestorm can hear Professor Stein's
2: commentary.
0: Yeah, not that it adds a lot, but just so we know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, John Stewart is sent to fetch Blue Devil from a Los Angeles beach. And back aboard the JLA satellite, Blue Devil tries to pitch in on Red Tornado. T.O. Morrow is separating Red Tornado's head from his body.
2: As Blue Devil goes, Doc, something's happening. His inside gizmos are glowing.
0: No matter. This will be over soon enough. No,
2: stop. Don't
0: do it. And then Red Tornado goes boom. But the atom escapes out his ear or something before the explosion. It's fine.
1: In fact, everyone's saved, but uh, Martian Manhunter is, is is hurt
0: by the uh, swirling fire. Manhunter's hurt, Firehawk. Help me. Firehawk! And Firehawk says, I'll be right there, Firestorm. I uh, have a small problem. The explosion burned away my suit. I know you wouldn't care, but a girl does have to look presentable.
2: What makes
1: her think Firestorm would rather her be nude?
0: I know. I think he would care, you know. It's like, oh, come on, get over it. Just, you know, I think he would yeah. pick one up. Anyway, Firehawk whips up a new orange and black costume for herself with some pretty snazzy blue fire hair and accessories around her wrists and ankles. Uh, everyone's looking to escape the crumbling satellite, including Tio Morrow, who's running down a hallway.
2: Yeah, Blue Devil says, Wait a second, you turkey, we're in deep space. Oh my, how do I get into these things? All I wanted to do was take in some sun. Was that too much to ask for?
0: Blue Devil chases Tio Morrow around to bend, but then he's disappeared.
2: But no, I gotta... Huh? Tio Morrow's gone. Vanished. Kaput. Eek. What do I do now?
0: Then Blue Devil notices this pink swirling portal in front of him. Wait a sec.
2: That swirling light is probably where the, where he vanished to. Must be hiding behind it. No
0: problem. Yeah, see, he's a stuntman. He's not a genius. So. <laughs> All I got to do is, yeah, it's pulling me in. And then everyone else in the satellite makes moves to get off of it Pronto.
1: John Stewart says Ring doesn't detect Blue Devil, so he must be okay. Hey, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> <That's fine.
2: laughs> Forget
1: about him. Uh, no one seems very concerned about where T.O. White might have disappeared. Too.
0: I know. It's like a, 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 a ring sweep. All right, let's get out of here. Good enough. Yep, good enough. Uh, the caption says, where is the Blue Devil? Let's look at the other end of the Star Warp opened up by the Crisis. Somewhere in the Vagan star system.
2: Blue
1: Devil ends up on the Omega Men spaceship. And so, let's meet the Meg- the Omega Men. Or some of them. Sure. Uh, this ragtag group of renegade aliens first appeared in Green Lantern number 141. That's June 1981 cover date uh, by Steve Englehart and Joe Staten. Yep. Uh, they were emissaries of a coalition of worlds in the Vegas system that were under the thumb of an evil, evil organization known as the Citadel. After the events of Omega Men number 31, that's October 1985, a crosses a crosses crossover <laughs> that we've already discussed. Uh, many people assume that they're dead, uh, and in this scene, we only see Doc. Doc first appeared in Omega Men number three, June 1983, by Roger Slifer and Keith Giffen. Keith Giffen. Uh, Doc is a brilliant scientist that hails from the planet Aiello. Uh, in order to amplify his brain power He replaced his own head with a computer At the expense of As you might imagine of his humanity
0: Or whatever his humanity would have been on the Would plan, have been His IOL his, his, yeah, his, yeah. <laughs> Then there's uh, Schlagen He showed up in that same issue Omega Mega Man 3 He's the team mechanic and he's kind of skittish All the time and kind of looks funny And then there's Reinach Who's not actually a member of the Omega Men But he hangs out with them for a little while And during this period he did He's an Okarin from a planet Okara, originally introduced in Omega Men number 29, August 1985, cover by Todd Klein and Sean McManus. He's from the planet Okara, like I said. This is one of the main places subjugated by the Citadel.
1: Finally, we got Zaral, who's also not a full-fledged member of the Omega Men. First appeared in the same issue as Reinach. She's a Tamaranian, so she's got you know Starfire-like powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Omega Men ship is pulled apart by a space anomaly, which they automatically blame on Blue Devil. But uh, that'll all work itself out in the Blue Devil crossover issue, that's uh, number 18. Hmm. Uh, over to the antimatter universe, where we get some nice statistics.
0: Yep, the caption says the antimatter universe stretches on for more than 32 zillion light years. There are 53 million worlds, more than two million containing sentient life. At the galactic center of the antimatter universe is the world of Quard, a world born of darkness and evil. Surveying this his this world, which he helped reshape, is the Monitor. His cold, cruel eyes dispassionately follow the building on his antimatter cannon. Of
1: course, slave labor is being employed. Uh, looks like the Thunderers of Quard and uh, are yelling at some of the regular Quardians.
0: Yeah. So the plan with the antimatter cannon, if you couldn't guess, is to obliterate the five remaining worlds. <laughs> it's sort of the plan is sort of built into the name of the thing, if you think about it.
1: It's exactly what it's written on the tin. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, elsewhere in the fortress, Psycho Pirate is strolling around where the flash is still strung up with some sort of glue. Uh, it seems Psycho Pirate's powers have finally come back
0: scared speedster if you aren't you soon will be i can make you so scared or terrified or despondent you'll want to kill yourself in fact flashy i'd like to see you whimper a bit right now look me in the eyes so i can turn you into a fearful crybaby. Then and the flash says psycho pirate eat jello there's
1: always room for it. Uh, <laughs> the Flash does a super spin attack and sprays the goo, holding him up everywhere. Uh, then he starts clobbering the Psycho Pirate, as you'd imagine. Sure. And a Thunderer of Quad is also hanging out there and gets some of it, too.
0: He gets a sock in the face, too.
1: <laughs> Psycho Pirate is able to catch eyes with the Flash and tries to project some fear onto him.
0: Look at me! See the fear in my eyes! And let it creep into your soul!
1: We get a caption that says emotions slam into the Crimson Comet with the speed of thought. Uh, the flesh feels himself stiffen, but the Scarlet Speedster fights back, resisting. His pace quickens, and the pain increases. Resist.
0: Resist. 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 Flash says, no. No more. Never again.
1: And so the flesh breaks out of the Psych- psychopirate spell and pummels him mercilessly.
0: For weeks now, you've done everything to humiliate me. Everything to destroy me You made me feel things Remember loves and hates That nearly ripped me apart You want hate, Psycho pirate? I'll show you what hate is all about
1: Psycho quick Quickly changes his tone after His face turns black and blue yeah. and, and the Flash now has a plan
0: That's right Back on the production floor for the antimatter cannon, the Thunderer is bellowing at the Quartians to work faster and make the day's quota so he can collect a hefty bonus.
1: <laughs> he, he, the Thunderer yells out, "Faster, you filth! If our to destroy the positive matter universe, his anti cannon must be completed on schedule.
0: I mean, wh- what happens if he misses the target? It's not like there's going to be any more time. It's going to be lay- layoffs. All- <laughs> Down- downsizing, I, downsizing. I, I, yeah, they got yeah, to hop to it or else uh, yeah. be big problems.
1: The Flash rushes Psycho Pirate in front of the Thunderer and has him project some emotions.
0: Look at the birdie, bird brain! Fear, hate, loathing, murder!
1: The Thunderer looks at the Anti-Monitor and now feels hate for him.
0: And the Anti-Monitor can sense something is wrong.
2: Yes, he goes, Something is wrong. See? Mm. (laughs) Hmm. I sense a disturbance.
0: The Thunderer throws his bolt at the Monitor, which seems to do some real damage. The Anti-Monitor dispenses with the Thunderer easily, but meanwhile, the Flash is whisking Psycho Pirate around to the other Thunderers, making them go crazy with hate. They launch a huge attack against the Anti-Monitor, All while uh, while announcing their intentions to destroy him.
1: Now while the Anti-Monitor is occupied, the Flash rushes up to the uh, Anti-Matter Cannon.
0: He says, You're certain this is the Anti-Matter Cannon? Yeah, yeah, I told you it was, Flash. Now you've got to save me. You don't know the Anti-Monitor. He'll be so angry. Psycho Pirate, all i got to say is tough.
1: Cold blooded and the flesh knocks psychopirate unconscious with a punch. Then the flesh vibrates into the cannon to find the cannon's power source, which is concentrated antimatter naturally.
0: Of course, what else could it be? Sure. Flash says, I could feel it weakening me, draining my energy. I I haven't got long before I'm powerless to stop it. Trouble is, I don't know what's gonna happen to me if I'm successful, but I have no choice. More than my life is at stake
1: and the flash runs around the rim of the power source, destabilizing it and turning it from red to purple, which causes him considerable pain.
0: Funny how your mind wanders when... when you're so close to death you can smell it coming. Mom and Dad, you can't hear me, but I love you so much. Iris, apart for so long, together for so short a time. Remember me, Iris. Remember how much I cared. Fiona. Wally, Dexter, Ralph, Sue, Hal, all the people I loved. Lord, it hurts. Hurts so much. Forgive me for leaving you like they did. Understand why. Please understand why. And meanwhile, the Anti Monitor can tell something is going wrong, and then the antimatter Cannon explodes. He was right. Yeah. He goes. It's
2: the Flash. He has destroyed the outer casing. Energy is escaping.
0: All the power gone. He will die for this. The anti-monitor in this picture, you see this panel, he's actually showing, like, a Mm -hmm. real emotion. Sort of like a shocked anger. And it's weird because it's like, you don't expect his face to have emotion. It's like a a Mm -hmm. chunk of rock or something. Uh, the Flash keeps running, and now we can see that it's really taking a physical toll. It's getting very gaunt. As he rushes around, he starts to pierce the veil of time and can see some of the scenes in this series where he's appeared mysteriously out of nowhere, like with the Joker and the Batman or in front of the kid Flash. Uh, And then, in a series of cascading and diminishing panels, the Flash turns into a skeleton and is no more. And the Anti-Monitor's cannon is destroyed. My cannon! He's destroyed my cannon! See?
2: (laughs) Everything is gone because of that accursed human.
0: He is God now, this Flash, Barry Allen. Gone saving more than one universe from more than certain doom. He has died fighting for what he believed in, and thus he died without regret. Though his death is unknown to all but one, he will be mourned. Trust us, he will be mourned. But not by the anti-monitor, he's pretty ticked off Yeah He devours some of his own universe for power Destroying more than a million worlds in the process He
2: goes I will absorb the antimatter energy Of more than one million worlds See. They will instant <laughs> <laughs> They will instantly perish All the lives contained thereon shall die Let them know that they will die Serving the greater good let them know they die to time itself can be changed. Let them know that they die, that I, the Monitor, will be victorious.
0: Well, I mean, are you going to tell them anti-Monitor? Because I don't think they're going to find out otherwise. You you know, you're, Probably not. You know, like, you, you should probably post some sort of a letter, be like, this is for the greater good, and then kill them.
1: He's got to tweet it out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> back, back on Earth 1, the challenges of the unknown are monitoring deep space. And wouldn't you know it, there's some kind of anomaly happening Then they hear some kind of scream Permeating the entire universe It is the specter
0: <laughs> um, oh, It is the specter Hey, hey, and- he's going to be very important here Don't he get too always sleepy always yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> And he's had it up to here With this crisis nonsense And we end this issue with a bit of a poem too Right below a Uh a a little little thing here for the flesh yeah. dated 1956 through 1985
0: Yeah the poem reads Oh why should the spirit of mortal be proud like a fast flitting meteor a fast flying cloud a flash of the lightning a break of the wave he passes from life to his rest in the grave That's William Knox 1824 This is actually Abraham Lincoln's favorite poem, Mortality, a piece of it. And it was written a year before William Knox died. So pretty prescient in that way. That's true. Yeah.
1: Well, that is crisis number eight.
0: Yeah. And uh, maybe we could take a minute just to to say this was, even though Supergirl died last issue, this was definitely the moment, the, you know, oh, snap moment for a lot of people. I think so. They were like, wait, this is a real thing with real ramifications, which is really crazy because, like I said, Supergirl just died. You know, mm-hmm. and she did just have, like, not too long before this, that solo series. I don't know, you know, obviously... The
2: Daring Adventures,
0: you yeah. Yeah, exactly, by like, uh, Kupperberg, and I can't remember who drew it. And but, the uh, film. Yeah, the film had come out in 84, so it wasn't like... But obviously, Flash is much, a much bigger fan-favorite. He's an
1: institution, that, exactly,
0: yeah. Exactly, whereas Supergirl, they were like, oh, that's too bad. Then the Flash died. They were like, whoa, will the DC Universe recover? I'm gonna spoil that and say it, it, it recovers, it's fine. But... uh <laughs> yeah it was wild. I mean, uh, you you didn't read this when it came out. I remember I did not what's yeah. see my memory kind kind of probably saying things we would say at the end of the uh, series, but a little bit just to go into it when this came out, I was ten, nine, nine, or ten. no, yeah, mm-hmm. I guess i was I was ten the whole time that it came out, and uh, I read like the first four, maybe the even the first three. And it was just too dense for a 10-year-old mind, too much stuff that I didn't know, you know, like the I saw the war heroes, and I was like, forget it. You know, like I had no, you know what I mean? I was like, goodbye. Yeah, I don't care about this at all. But, you don't uh, like the losers? Come on. Yeah, I was, I was like, you know, back then, I mean, now I'd have a more patience for it, but then I was like, nope, I have no interest in that. <laughs> They've uh, got a
1: guy named Nick on the team.
0: Exactly. Oh, Nick, a.k.a. Nick. <laughs> uh, my brother read it, though, and he, he was big on it. He talked about how The Flash died. The Flash also, for me... Never one of my favorite characters, but you got to recognize him as obviously a core. Sure. That, that's one of the prime seven of the Justice League. You know what I mean? So I knew this was a big deal. But uh, for you, now you you read Crisis? I would assume in the early two thousands, late nineties. I'm kind of throwing late that out there, right?
1: Yeah, it was one of the is actually one of the first one of the first trades I bought when I started buying DC because wow. you know everybody talked about Crisis and I thought it would be a good place to start well, since like, we were still in that. Post-Crisis.
0: I don't world. like the waiting side of the pool. Let me go right to the twelve-foot and uh, see how uh, that feels. <laughs> yes,
1: I didn't receive it as well as I should have, and in subsequent rereads, it's been a lot better and a lot more touching. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because when you when you hear about Crisis, I mean, you know, two things: you know that Supergirl dies, and you know that Flash dies. Right. So it's the, the, all the, you know, all the pain is kind of pulled out of it before I even opened the book. So. Yeah.
0: But, yeah, I, I could that too. That you kind of knew the what you were going to get into to some extent, so you were like, "All right, here's where that happens. I get to see that, mm. you know." But it yeah. doesn't have the same impact because, well, I, I, by that time, Flash was still dead, and you were reading Wally.
1: Yeah, but, yeah, Wally's my guy. So yeah, that's I. This Barry, I, I never had an attachment to. I still, I still really don't. Yeah. But uh, it's a so his passing really didn't it didn't move me. I mean, even Supergirls, because it's like. When I hear about pre-crisis, I just picture there being, like, five or six Supermen, five or six Supergirls. <laughs> so it's like, oh, we lost true. one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's the same—you know, when I—growing up, you know, you had Transformers and G.I. Joe. I could never get into Transformers because they were robots. I mean, if right. they break, they get rebuilt. No big deal. So it's it's kind of, <laughs> in a way, like that. Where it lessens like, oh, the we...
0: impact, yeah, of, like, yeah, well, you know, just pull another one it's... out of the pack. Uh, yeah. Although, as we know— Supergirl never came back in any iteration ever no. again after Crisis, so that was that was the end of that. Uh, neither did the Flash. Neither so, did the neither Flash. Did the and Barry Allen never came back. Yeah, that's all jokes, folks. We'll get to that at, in the last episode. <laughs> but I just wanted to break in here because this is the moment. This is like I say, the moment of Crisis. Uh, this is the Rubicon. Yeah, the eight would be the big one, and to me, seven was. The idea of it, I mean, Supergirl's a character I've always liked, but because I'm a very silly person, really. I, I like <laughs> all the silly, you know, she was in the orphanage for so long, and, like, she had to wear a brown wig. A brown wig. Old, she had, a, she had a, a super cat, she had a super horse, so it was very funny stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, this, this does take it to a place where, you know, the, you know, not to, this isn't to denigrate anything, but the, the Marvel event, Secret Wars, there really was no outcome. Super Spider-Man got a new suit. Yep. Right, a couple other things, but really everything just basically sent, went back to zero. Uh, sure. this one was going to change, and this was the first inkling. Like, wait a second, this is not going to set yeah. back to zero.
1: Yeah, we're, we're going to come out. Yeah, we're going to come out of the other side of this different.
0: And you can tell, also, even way after the fact, mm-hmm. the way Marv is handling, especially the Flash, but but Supergirl, to an extent too, in the writing. He's showing a very careful, almost like a very uh, respect for the character. Oh, yeah. High uh, regard. Yeah. Which which also does heighten the feeling that this is a permanent change. This is not mm-hmm. just going to be wiped away by the next guy on the block. But we will talk a lot more of that <laughs> about in that in the last episode, the fifth episode yes. of this series. But first, we want to go through some crossover issues for issue number eight.
1: Yes, we promised Blue Devil number 18, and here it is. Uh, November 1985 by Dan Mishkin, Gary Cohn, and Alan Kupperberg. The Omega Men and Blue Devil save several folks from a parallel dimension. They're all returned to Earth-1, none the worse for wear, except for, uh, you know, the world's impending destruction and all.
0: Yeah, but that's not Blue Devil's fault. Uh, not this time. (laughs) DC Comics Presents number 88 featuring The Creeper, uh, December 1985 by Steve Engelhardt and Keith Giffen. TV newsman Jack Ryder, the alter ego of the Creeper, gives airtime to kooks and cranks that claim responsibility for the red skies and storms. One of these crackpots turned out to be a demon. Superman and the Creeper team up to take him down.
1: That one sounds interesting. Uh, We got Justice League of America Annual Number 3, August 1985, by Dan Mishkin and Dan Hoberg. Uh, While a badly damaged red tornado tries to figure out his true nature... The rest of the league runs around putting out crisis-induced fires, most of them not literal. Fires, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Red Tornado merges with his elemental self and renounces his humanity.
0: Yeah, I mean, this become this turns into a big change for Red Tornado, where he becomes sure. a you know sw-
1: an elemental, an air elemental thing right? level,
0: yeah, yeah uh, character. But that will all. Come out in the end, and we will go into all of that, at in the last episode, the fifth episode of this series, unbelievably. But this
1: as of this recording,
0: it's exactly. Perfect. We can't guarantee it. We think it'll be. It seems like it will be because we were able yeah. to make a normal size episode here. Uh, mm-hmm. As we did that, that character bio dump, it it's gotten a lot easier because we did go through a bulk of characters there. So I haven't had to uh stop and you know find out the <laughs> origin issues and stuff like that. But. Here we are at the halfway point of our fi- of our series, most likely, and I uh, hope everyone's enjoying it, and I hope you'll write to us and let us know at WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Cosmic t History, on Twitter at Cosmic t but really, if you want to actually get a response, <laughs> you will. Uh, tweet me at Reggie. Reggie. And me at Ace Comics. You can find our writings every week on weirdsciencedccomics.com and you should go check out Chris's personal blog every day. It's uh, Chris's on, Chris is on Um, which isn't only about the crisis, although looking back, it probably could have been if you wanted it to be, right? You <laughs> it could, could have been. You sure. probably could have just done the 12 issues and then all the crossovers, then all the backstory. You know, you probably. You, I'd still be writing today. Still be writing on everything. <laughs> you, you know, Golden Age issue number, you know, 53 is a reference to your. Uh, yeah, some deep cups, cuts in this crisis, and that's definitely tickles a, a comic collector, comic historian's fancy. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, you gotta go check out Chris's blog. It's a new DC comic every day. And it has really run the gamut. I've seen stuff from the 21st century. I've seen stuff from uh, the mid-20th century. So some comics from the 70s. You're going all over the place, you know what I mean? You talk about a crisis in infinite blogs over there. It's, uh, I'm you know, be bopping and scatting everywhere. You definitely are, yeah. It's a <laughs> jazz version of comics reviews. No, but it's great stuff. Panels, pictures Thank of you. panels, uh, everything. And, um, you know, great synopsis. Also, I forgot to write it here, but you can also go to a, sort of a blog... <laughs> Our image bank. <laughs> Our image bank for the time being, which would be at uh, Weird Comics History at dot blogspot dot com. Am I right about that? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Right now, it's every uh, pre crisis monitor appearance, including panels. But <laughs> in the future, there may be more there. And we would let you know here if there's something there. To sure. Say. But uh, I think, believe it or not, we actually got out light this week. And that's all we got for him this week, Chris. Got anything else for him? Well, I got one thing. Uh, All
1: right. <laughs> we, uh, you know, we are going over a lot of these heroes in rapid fire succession here. If there's any characters you want to hear us talk at length about, or uh, we have that weird comics history show which uh, is waiting for stuff to happen to
2: it. That's so, I mean,
1: right. Yeah. We can always uh, we can go always go deep on certain characters if if that's what people want to hear. Um, also. Uh, this past week, we released the uh, Weird Comics History on the pre-crisis multiverse, Yeah. and if there are any Earths that you'd like us to expand on, definitely let us know, and we will uh, take it under advisement.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And that goes for, you know, the, as far as the characters, that could be a character from any comic. That's Marvel. Absolutely. You I mean, you name it, Image, uh, you pull them out, Valiant, whatever you like. Uh, we'll, we'll do a real full one, and believe me, I think you'd be surprised to know what's some of your favorite characters from whence they came and yes. the things they've been through <laughs> Where I, th- I, they been? I thought about doing it frankly I really just run out of time but I was going to do kind of a, a breakdown Requiem for both Supergirl and The Flash uh, really just to point out how crazy they are you know at one point yep. Flash's powers were given to him, had been given to him by an interdimensional beast uh, sorry beast a, uh, some figure, I can't remember his name now do you remember this guy, the nerdy guy? Oh no, nerd, Oh my goodness! A, oh, oh, he's such yeah. a stupid name. Yeah, I was, I was gonna get into all that, and if you want to hear something like that, you let us know by mm-hmm. email, Twitter. However, you know how to get at us. But if that's all we got for him this week, Chris, I think I'm gonna tell him to keep it on the treadmill concentrically.
2: How do
0: I say goodbye?